take care of soup for us. And I hope to have everybody there, if I stick to my notes, right at noon. Um, but I am going to talk about Vince Lombardi, so <laughs> I may, may go on a little bit with him. Uh, I do invite you to... Okay. <laughs> uh, I do invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 41. And we will read verses 1 through 36. It's a long chapter, and, and we've got somewhat of a long passage here, but, uh, but we will take a, a look at it. There's some repetition, and that's by design uh, in the passage. Uh, and what we are doing is, is following the life of Joseph right now. Uh, and it all started back in chapter 37. He had a couple of dreams and, and told his brothers about that, and he was a little arrogant in telling them about that. So they sold him off to some guys going to Egypt, and, and he became a servant in Egypt and, and was actually became the head of, of a household of, of Potiphar in Egypt. But then uh, he was falsely accused by his wife and thrown into prison. And while in prison... Uh, there were a couple of guys uh, from Pharaoh's house there, the, the cupbearer and the uh, baker. And they had dreams, and so he interpreted those dreams, and with the cupbearer, he told him, now you're going to get out, and you're going to be with Pharaoh again as his cupbearer, and so when you do, remember me. Get me out of this pit. Get me out of here. And, and uh, so things happened. As uh, Joseph said they would happen with these dreams, the cupbearer is back uh, as the cupbearer for Pharaoh. Uh, the baker got hanged, and uh, the cupbearer forgot about Joseph in prison. And we'll see here in the very first verse, he forgets about him for two years. And so let's pick up the story. Uh, Joseph is in prison right now. As we pick up the story, Genesis chapter 41, beginning at verse 1. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. 
And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears, withered thin and blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was none who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow. It will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. The word of the Lord. Well, in keeping with the theme of Super Bowl Sunday and and all of our soup that we're going to eat, Uh, We'll talk a a little bit about the greatest coach to ever coach in the Super Bowl, and that is, of course, Vince Lombardi of the greatest team to exist in pro football, the Green Bay Packers. And for those of you that don't know, I'm from Wisconsin, all right? (laughs) But Vince Lombardi, when he came to the Green Bay Packers, he came with what's called the power sweep. And and we're taught this in kindergarten up in Wisconsin, but... (laughs) But the power sweep is this play, and you need excellent offensive linemen, which he had, and, and a, a real intuitive running back that could run to daylight, and, and they would practice this play over and over at the beginning of practice and at the end of practice. They had to run it just perfect, and it was very successful. But people would tell Vince Lombardi, everybody knows what's coming. And he made no secret of it. And they would just pop off eight yards at a time with this power sweep as, and whatever they wanted to run it. 
And, and they would say, but Vince, everybody knows what you're doing. And basically, Lombardi's reply was, I don't care if they know what's coming. If we execute it perfectly, they can't stop it. And they couldn't. He won several championships, including then the first two Super Bowls when the Super Bowl got invented. He just, he just, he didn't care. We're going to run this 30, 40 times a game. Try to stop it. And when we look at this passage, we see a God telling Pharaoh something. Now, Pharaoh needs Joseph's help in this, but he's basically telling Pharaoh, here's what I'm going to do. There's really no question about what's going to happen here. There's no stopping it. So a response is going to be needed. And God tells Pharaoh this through a couple of dreams that Pharaoh has. And, and we see that in our passage in, in verses uh, 1 through 7. It's, it's the first telling of the dreams. This is uh, uh, Moses, as he writes to Genesis, is, is telling us what the dreams are. A little bit later on, uh, Pharaoh will give us his perspective of the dream, and so we'll, we'll wait to talk about the dreams till then. Uh, but notice this, he has two dreams. And these dreams get told twice. This happens after two years. You notice two years after the cupbearer has forgotten about uh, Joseph in, in prison. And, and there's a theme here, the two-ness of everything. Remember, Joseph's story started with two dreams. And then he interpreted two dreams in, in prison. We, we can take a look at other things in Joseph's life. He's been sold out twice, once by his brothers, once by Potiphar's wife. He's been thrown into a pit twice, once by his brothers, once by Potiphar. There's this, this two-ness that keeps coming back, and the repetition of this keeps showing us that it is certainty. We see that in verse 32. Joseph says that, that you had two dreams, means this is really going to happen. And, and what we see with all of these twos, and there's more that we're not even going to mention, is just how God is doing all of this. Uh, the great preacher, Sinclair Ferguson, who's, who's very bold, and I love how he preaches, but, but he uses the term, uh, you can see God marching through this whole story, just boom, boom, boom. And, and I thought, I should use sound effects like he does, because that's really awesome. But you can just see God working throughout this whole thing, and, and every detail, and this is going to happen, just the way God has laid this out for us. And and so Pharaoh has these two dreams, and he's troubled by them. Uh, we see, uh, you know, cows eating cows. And th yeah, that would be a little troubling. That's not supposed to happen. But in verse 8, uh, he brings his magicians and his Egyptian wise men in to, to try to interpret uh, this, this dream. Now, uh, mind you, these, these uh, Egyptians are pagans. So the uh, magicians and, and, and wise men, they're ungodly people as he brings them in and, and he tells them these dreams and, and they can't figure it out. And we look at this, now granted we know uh, Joseph tells us what the dreams mean, but we look at this and we say, well this seems pretty straightforward. You know, this is their job, they're supposed to be able to interpret dreams, they can't figure this one out. 
when we know the answer, it's a little easier, but, but what we see here is, is God has blinded them because he needs Joseph to meet Pharaoh. That's what's going to happen. God has got to get Joseph uh, to meet Pharaoh, so he's blinded them, and he's done it by uh, using uh, things that Egyptians feel are, are deity. They had many gods, pantheon of gods. And they would worship many different things. In fact, Pharaoh himself, uh, Pharaoh, by the way, is a title. It's not a name, it's a title, and he had godlike status. The Nile River itself was uh, believed to have powers and a deity of its own, and they would, in ways, worship the Nile. Cows, which we see in the dream, uh, they had some uh, deity attached to them. And if you remember, uh, when Israel, hundreds of years later, leaves Egypt, the first idol they build is a golden calf. Aaron didn't just come up with that out of thin air. He brought that from Egypt. They would worship things like that. So there are all these, these images of, of deities and gods, and, and there's too much symbolism, and, and these ungodly Egyptians just can't piece it all together. We have Pharaoh and the Nile and cows, and what is all of this? And, and uh, so they're, they're blinded, and they can't figure this one out. And then, and then the cupbearer, after two years of God-induced amnesia, remembers Joseph. He says, oh, wait a minute, Pharaoh. And we see that in verses 9 through 13 as he recounts the story of how this Hebrew man had interpreted his dream along with the baker's dream in, in prison. And I love how he starts. He said, I remember my offenses today in, in verse 9. And I've always read that to mean uh, his offense against Joseph. But as I look closer at it, I, I see what he's doing here. Uh, he's being very polite to uh, Pharaoh. He's saying, oh, I remember. Remember when I was an idiot and you rightly threw me in jail? You were 100% right to throw me in jail because I, I was really offensive. And, and so he's, he's trying to be polite here and, and a little bootlicking going on perhaps. But, but you were right, Pharaoh, and I was completely wrong. And that's why I was in jail. But, by the way, there's a guy there. And maybe he can interpret your dream for you. And so Pharaoh uh, calls in Joseph so that Joseph can hear the dreams. And we see this in verses 14 through 24. And you'll notice that Joseph is presented very quickly in verse 14. And that's an idea, actually, we're going to pick up next week. Lord willing, we're going to finish off the rest of the chapter. And there's going to be a few things that I mentioned along the way that we will pick up again next week as we take a bigger look at this story. But Joseph is... is they hurry up because Pharaoh's pretty upset. We can tell by some of the language here that he's pretty upset about this dream. And so they get uh, Joseph ready as quickly as they can. And then in verse 15, you'll notice uh, Pharaoh uh, tells Joseph, I've heard it said that you uh, can interpret dreams. I just have to tell you my dream and you will be able to interpret it. But notice how Joseph answers. Not me. It's not in me. But God, God's going to be able to give you the answer. Now, he's saying this to Pharaoh. Remember, Pharaoh is considered somewhat of a God himself. 
And Joseph is saying, the one true God is going to be able to tell you what these dreams mean. And in this, we see Joseph's growth a little bit. I, I was pretty hard on Joseph back in chapter 37 when he was pretty arrogant and brash in telling his brothers about the dream and you know, kind of hiked up his pants. Yeah, you guys are going to bow down to me someday. Uh, but here, Pharaoh sets him up. Hey, you can interpret dreams, can't you? You're the guy. And, and Joseph, now that he's older and wiser, says, no, not me. But God can figure this out for us because God is doing everything here. And he will tell you. And so Pharaoh tells him the dreams, and, and he gives a, a, a longer account of the dreams. And you notice he places a lot of weight on the awfulness of the thin cows, especially. Uh, the ears as well, but, but in verse 19, you got these cows, and, and he just goes on about them. They're poor and very ugly and, and thin. They're so ugly, I've never seen anything so ugly in all of Egypt. I mean, these are the ugliest you're going to find. And they eat the good cows, and they're still really, really ugly. I mean, he's, he's, he's focused on this because he knows, oh, this, this is threatening. There's something. I mean, the, the, the ugly is winning the day. This can't be good. And so Joseph interprets the dream, as we see in verses 25 through 31. I should say dreams. There's, there's two of them, but basically they're one. He said, yeah, okay, here's what's going to happen, Pharaoh. There will be seven uh, extremely good years, but they are going to be followed by seven years that are going to be so bad, it's like the good years never happened. They will be completely forgotten. This famine, as he said in, in verse 30, it's going to consume the land. It will be very severe. He, he pulls no punches in this. We're going to have some great years, Pharaoh. But no matter how great these first seven years are, the second seven years are going to be more horrible than these were good. And it'll be like the good years have never happened. You know, going back to uh, the football analogy, you know, football coaches spend a lot of time trying to figure out what the other team's going to do. You know, and they'll sit and they'll watch hours and hours of film trying to figure out every little uh, the, the, the formation and what those formations mean. And, and, and they try to predict what's going to, to come. And, and a football coach, even if you guess perfectly correctly on what the other team is going to run, if you don't do anything about it, it's useless. If you can, you know, most absolutely, without a doubt, know, oh, this, I know this formation. I know what they're going to do. They're going to pass the ball. So let's keep our run defense out there. It would make no sense. You have to do something once you have that information. Well, God, as we see, he's not making Pharaoh guess on what's going to happen. He's telling him exactly what's going to happen. And Joseph understands that this means a response is necessary. In verse 32, as he mentioned, that you had two dreams means that this is going to happen. And it's going to happen quickly. 
and he comes up with this plan. He knows there needs to be a plan in place. And so he comes up with this plan, and this is one of the things we'll talk a little bit more about next week, about how he's going to uh, save in those first seven years so that they can get through the next seven years. But, but I want us just to stop here. There, there's much more in the story as, as we'll get to it, but stop here and just focus on that famine a little bit. Because when we read Scripture as a whole, especially in the Old Testament, and it's, it's throughout the Old Testament, how many times a famine is used as judgment? It comes up over and over again. I'm going to judge this nation and... and uh, there will be a famine in the land. He'll stop the rain and there will be no crops to grow. It's used as judgment uh, quite often. And as we see Egypt, as I've mentioned, they're a pagan nation. They certainly deserve judgment. There's no question about that. They're worshiping all kinds of things and beings and and making things uh, to worship. But notice this, They're going to be blessed through Joseph. Joseph is going to prove to be a huge blessing to Egypt and and those around Egypt because of, of what he does. But this famine, we see it in terms of of judgment. There is a judgment coming. In fact, one of the scariest famines to me in all of Scripture is found in, in the book of Amos. And God is telling the prophet Amos that he's judging and punishing Israel. And here's uh, what God tells Amos in chapter 8. He said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. That is the scariest famine I could imagine. A famine that the Lord has finally spoken and said, you know what, I'm done. I'm done speaking. See, when the Lord speaks, there needs to be a response. One of the uh, biblical theologians I was reading uh, takes a look at what Joseph, his, his speech and his plan, and, and he writes this, and I want to play off what he says a little bit, but he writes this, what is theologically noteworthy is the way in which the strong predestinarian content of the speech, that God is really going to do this, is combined with a strong summons to action. The fact that God has determined the matter, that God hastens to bring it to pass, is precisely the reason for responsible leaders to take measures. And when we look at this story and consider that strong link we see throughout Scripture between famine and judgment, and we see how very clear and repetitive and certain that judgment is in Scripture, we're reminded that a response is needed. 
we do need to make a, res a response. Because our sin does deserve judgment. Just like uh, in Egypt. They deserved judgment. They were blessed by Joseph, who came up with a plan that they could live through the second seven years. Our sin deserves judgment. We're blessed by Christ, who went to the cross and died for those sins, living a perfectly righteous life, giving us his righteousness and him taking our sins, putting those on the cross, and we need to respond. And like Egypt, we need to respond uh, somewhat quickly. One of the passages that I come back to uh, every now and then is, is from 2 Peter. 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, and Peter is writing about uh, this idea of judgment and that some people are saying, well, it's not really going to happen because everything just keeps going along as it has been forever. And Peter writes, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Therefore be diligent to be found by him without spots or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. And then a little bit later on he writes, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. He gives us his word. And he's repeated it several times. What is coming? He's told us beforehand. And when we look at this story, we have to ask ourselves then, what's my response going to be? What is my response? Will it be one of repentance? Will it be one of, of as, as Peter writes, uh, uh, holiness and, and righteousness? Uh, J.C. Ryle, uh, he writes, to be without Christ is to be on the brink of destruction. You see, our response to knowing what is coming to what God has very clearly told us is to run to Christ. To run to Christ and confess our sins to him and to repent and to aspire to holiness. Respond in a way that leads to life because simply knowing isn't enough. It's like the football coach who knows what's coming but won't change his defense. Simply knowing is not enough. The response is needed. And that's why I chose some of the verses in our responsive reading, especially those, those middle two, the one from Ezekiel. Turn, turn and live. Repent and live. Jesus in John chapter 3 saying, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but if not, the wrath of God remains on you. He's told us very clearly and he's told us very positively that if we come to him, he won't lose us. He will save us. He is our salvation. And we look at this story 
and we respond. Christ, forgive me. Lead me in your righteousness. Lead me by your spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for being so clear to us in what you're going to do. We can see your hand in our lives, just like Joseph. We can see you working, and we know that we need to respond to your word. We ask that you take away all those hindrances that would keep us from following you. Fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit that we will walk in your ways. We do thank you for our salvation, that Jesus died that horrible death on a cross, that we might live in the age to come. And we ask that you keep us focused on Christ, on his holiness, on his forgiveness, on his righteousness, that we may walk with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, if you will, turn to hymn uh, 382. We'll sing verses 1, 2, and 3 of Be Thou My Vision. We can stand and sing. Mm -hmm.